This is Suno India Production. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now. Solar energy has been an important player in India's energy transition. But how does the growth of solar align with the global targets of reducing emissions and elevating energy poverty? How do we see the world's transition towards clean energy? And how do we eliminate disparities in energy access? Also, how do we make sure that renewables are cost effective? Hi, I'm Sneha Richaria and for this episode of Climate Emergency, I spoke to Dr. Ajay Mathur, who is the Director General of the International Solar Alliance and discussed a range of issues from current challenges to the solar industry to ISA's journey so far and the expectations from the COP this year. You have been an expert in almost all key areas of uh, energy transition from, uh, you know, policy research to financing and global cooperation. You have been a member of the Prime Minister's uh, Council on Climate Change. Uh, can you tell us your uh, early motivations? Precisely what is it that motivated you to come to the energy sector and the sustainable development sector? Also, over the years when you have been here, what is it that has changed? So, the first thing that I, I I can recall, which had an impact on me, was the uh, 1973 oil embargo, which essentially told us that the growth powered by cheap energy was no longer something for the future. As I went and studied uh, engineering. Uh, this is something that motivated me which is why i chose to study chemical engineering because that is what i thought had the most to do with the newer forms of energy after i graduated I, the first uh, thing that i did was write a series of articles on the state at that time of various sources of renewable energy wind energy solar energy etc but immediately after that i did realize that renewables are something of the future so the first thing i focused on was how do we use coal more efficiently i also worked on fuel cells as a way of using hydrogen this was all in the 1990s but as we grew both as an economy and as the challenges to the world increased we started focusing more and more on energy efficiency and renewables as a way to ensure that everybody in the world got access to energy and we got access in a sustainable manner so that the world could grow sustainably now what happened at that particular moment of time was that there was a concern about climate change happening on the one side there was a concern about making sure that everybody had access to energy on the other side which at that point of time meant that everybody needed to use energy more efficiently the challenge was energy efficiency and renewables were more costly than fossil fuels and we needed a financial mechanism to move ahead this was through the green uh, sorry at that point of time it was called gef global environmental facility the global environmental facility provided the incremental financing to help renewable and energy efficiency projects through and this is the time i was with the world bank in washington and we 
helped create a cadre of people in the bank who started working on renewables and energy efficiency. And those projects got bank financing and got grants for the incremental amount of financing from the GEF. This helped create the atmosphere, the learning, the people who would take renewables and energy efficiency forward. And then, of course, uh, uh, I went into the renewable energy sector. I was associated with Suslan for some time. And then for the longest period of time, I was with the Bureau of Energy Efficiency in India, where we did all kinds of interesting things. The standards and labeling program, the stars that you see, was something that was in that time. We did the LED program to move efficient lighting into the country. We helped industry see that energy efficiency is good for itself and introduced the Perform Achieval Trade Program, which some people say gives industry money to be efficient. Uh, in other words, we were able to institutionalize energy efficiency. So let's talk about ISA. Uh, you know, we you know that began as a partnership between India and France. So since COP twenty one, how has the membership and the influence uh, changed? Uh, and some of the key achievements, if you could mention. We now, as of today, have one hundred and sixteen countries that have signed the ISA treaty. This is increasing day by day. By the end of the year, we expect it to reach one hundred and twenty. That's one part. The second part is we have a very active program focusing on helping countries to establish the regulatory processes that they can therefore establish large-scale solar energy and renewable energy structures. It helps countries in figuring out what makes sense for them. It helps countries in building up the local capacity, human people, train them, certify them so that they can be part of those projects. It helps in getting financing. You know, we are getting a lot of financing in solar across the world. Last year, it was $310 billion. But the problem was that it was largely in the OECD countries of China. When we look at developing countries, all of Africa got just 3% of the finance. Therefore, we talked to investors. We looked at the track record of the African renewable energy projects and have therefore uh, put forward a global solar facility which provides a payment guarantee mechanism. To invite investors, please invest. This guarantee mechanism is ensuring that you will get the returns that you are looking for. So whether it is technology, whether it is regulations, whether it's capacity or whether it's finance, we help countries according to what they require. We also work on producing knowledge. So, for example, at the Clean Technology Conference held today on the 1st of November 2023, we released the second edition of the Global Progress in energy, Solar Energy Technologies, Solar Energy Markets and Solar Energy Investments. We have also produced now something on green hydrogen because green hydrogen is important. Electricity is good. What are you doing in the areas where there's no electricity? So hydrogen is important and therefore looking at how we produce hydrogen, how we use hydrogen, how we transport hydrogen becomes important. That, what has that has meant is that our impact, our footprint 
across the developing world is becoming deeper and deeper. Today, we work in about 55 countries on projects which are which they think are important to them. How do you evaluate uh, the energy transition across the world? Uh, stuffing in, how do you you know see the disparity and to make sure that renewables are accessible by all? You know the key issue in all of this is, as our major goal says, IS's major goal is to make solar as the energy source of choice. How do you make something the energy source of choice? It obviously has to be cost competitive. It has to be available to you and I when we need it. Look at all of this together. What is important across the world is, one, what is the availability of energy? The per capita availability of energy is important. What share of that energy is from renewables? What share is from fossil fuels? Is the share of renewables increasing over time? Those are the kinds of benchmarks that we use for ourselves in assessing whether countries are moving towards a zero carbon goal. Uh, also, in the next five years, how do you see, uh, I mean, what are the challenges that you see? Because, you know, as you said, uh, we are getting a lot of uh, money in solar. So uh, how, what are the challenges uh, that you see happening in the solar industry? So I would put the challenges as in three big buckets. The first bucket, as you said, is money. There is a lot of money, but it is skewed. And therefore, we need to correct this uh, the second challenge that we are facing is in terms of where this money is being applied. It's largely being applied for large projects. We are now seeing a greater growth of decentralized solar, but still it needs to be far more so that you and I can enjoy the benefits. The third problem that we see is in terms of the geographical concentration of manufacturing. Two countries account for 80% of the solar modules produced in the world. This creates a huge problem in choking the supply across the world. And if in the next six or seven years, we are looking at the solar demand increasing by a factor of three, this means that geographical diversification has to happen. Yes, both of solar cells to solar modules, but also the production of solar cells itself. So these are the three key challenges. You can also say that there are technological challenges in terms of the new technologies which will make solar more cost-effective, about battery technologies, about the solar uh, hydrogen electrolyzers that will be needed. Yes, so there is a range of technologies which also need to be worked on so that we get greater technological maturity and financial viability. Okay. And... Uh you know, in the la coming back to ISA, uh, what is it? What were the key outcomes in the last meeting that uh, that was held? Uh, also, uh, you know, in within the ISA in the next year, twenty twenty four, what is it that we can look forward to? You know, I'm going to be very biased and parochial. As far as ISA is concerned, the best thing that we got was the commitments by various countries that they would provide to the budget of ISA. And it was surprising how many developing countries committed to that. Remember, it's all voluntary. There are no mandatory 
financial commitments for anybody. But the fact that developing countries contributed implies that they see the value of the ISIC. We also saw a large number of developed countries, Denmark, Germany, the USA, saying how they would help provide resources for the projects of the International Solar Alliance. So this was clearly one of my high points. But as we go ahead, we are looking at identifying startups. We did it in Africa last year. The Assembly approved that we will carry this on for Asia this year. So we will collaborate with the uh, Sequoia Foundation. We will collaborate with the uh, Asian Development Bank to make this happen across the Asia-Pacific region. So this will be one big thing that is. The second big thing that you will see is that in the next year, the support that we provide for regulatory change. In other words, how do you get money into solar? Countries prepare the strategy so that on the one hand, the solar investors feel comfortable that they'll get return. On the other hand, you make sure that you and I get electricity at the lowest prices. This is a regulatory structure that we are providing support to, to many, many countries. So right now we are providing to six countries. This will expand to something of the order of 20 countries in the next year. And finally, as far as support for projects is concerned, we look forward to supporting about nine and a half gigawatts of project development across the world. Okay. Uh, and because it's one of the priorities under India's G20 presidency, let's also talk about um, the the global biofuel, uh, biofuel uh, alliance. So how do you think uh, it will further help in uh, India's goal towards energy transition broadly? And also, what is your outlook about the alliance? The global biofuels alliance is a very important uh, uh, alliance because for many countries, Biofuels is an essential part of the energy transition. So the sustainable use of biofuels, and I emphasize the word sustainable, emphasizes that we will be able to move to a future in which biofuels provide a fair amount of energy, at least in crucial areas. So for example, if you look at sustainable aviation, we will probably look at global at biofuels providing fuels for sustainable aviation. There's a lot of work that has been done in many, many countries, and they need to learn from each other in order to move ahead. So, for example, Brazil has worked on biofuels for the transportation sector. The U.S. has worked on biofuels which are used across the industrial sector. India has used on biofuels as for producing energy. All of these need to inform each other, learn from each other, so that as we move ahead, we can move to greater biofuel commercialization. Uh, with COP28, uh, what are your expectations? As far as COP28 is concerned, I have two major goals for myself. What we will come out as far as negotiations is concerned is anybody's guess. But what I hope that we will come out with is first, a stock take that looks at the challenges that countries have in terms of 
how they meet their zero carbon goals and accelerate the process. And therefore, what I hope is that they will see ways of uh, enabling this change. As the uh, International Solar Alliance, we are producing a report called the Global Solar Stock Take, which is looking at how solar is going in the world and what needs to be done in order to accelerate. So this is the first goal. The second thing that we want to happen at uh, COP28 is a agreement that as we move to the future, we look at the uh, ability of countries to have cost-effective renewable solutions, including solar energy solutions. A few months ago, the Indian company, the Railway Energy Management Services, did a tender and they found a price for solar plus wind plus batteries providing firm round-the-clock power, firm round-the-clock power at prices which were 80% of those of new coal power stations. However, the investment in the solar plus wind plus batteries was twice that of coal-based power. What it tells me is we need mechanisms to enable the cost of money to come down in order for renewables to go ahead. And I'm hoping that at the COP, we will have various financing solutions that will help us move forward. All right. I think that's all the questions I had. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.